I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the Week in Review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or a main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This episode, after a Week in Review segment, our main event is actually going to be our film faves segment and that is our favorite movies of all time so much pressure in this episode indeed because this is the culmination of a three-year journey of us going backwards through time counting down our favorite movies uh, for each year and each decade and so this is what, where it all has been leading to. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit here. For those who did listen to the last episode, and I did tease that we were going to review as our main event David Fincher's new film, Mank. Uh, if you follow on Instagram, you will have gotten the update. Uh, otherwise, you're getting the update now, that uh, that unfortunately was not able to happen. The film released in select theaters throughout the country sometime in the past week or two, and uh, not near us, first well, of all. Well, I don't think they were able to because our governor did put new restrictions in place, and that involved closing indoor theaters but allowing outdoor theaters to function. Is that in place, like, at the time that we're recording, or is that... It was in place since Sunday. Okay. I mean, it got announced on Sunday and then went into effect, like, Monday at, like, 12. Okay. All right. And this is the 20th right now uh, for clarification. So, at any rate, it, it wasn't even scheduled to to open in a theater near us unless we were in Seattle. So, didn't happen. So we are pressing on with this final, I don't know, not final episode. This isn't the final episode, but this is the final uh, nail in the coffin of this three-year journey that we have been taking. So as I said, we'll talk more about that. But first, let's dive into the week in review. Shannon, as I understand, you watched something that you wanted to share a little bit about. Yeah, this is a Netflix show. It's called Abstract, The Art of Design. An in-depth look into computer design and modern contemporary design with some of the world's most highly regarded designers. This is a great show. It has two seasons. I've seen a couple episodes. If one episode didn't appeal, then I moved on. And it features a lot of really wonderful artists. And looking at this, it's, you know, watching four episodes really gives you a taste of what this show is trying to do. And it's trying to tell you about these people around the world that are making a difference in some way, whether it's the representation of someone or 
uh, something environmentally sustainable, where these artists are getting their inspiration and how they're executing their ideas. One example is episode three is Ruth Carter, the costume designer for Black Panther and so many other things. You know, you get to know a little bit about her life and how she got into it. And then you get to hear her talk and a couple of people who know her, even Spike Lee, talks about her you know how she did black panther and what all she took into account and it's fascinating and then you'll see uh, an episode about cass holman who is the designer if you go to children's museums you will most likely see blue spongy blocks and noodles Mm -hmm. and you will probably also come across wooden planks really heavy sturdy Uh, pieces of wood that have nuts and bolts that are made out of plastic. They're kind of redesigned bolts. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're aware of these things if you visit children museums and and other play centers. And I've known about this stuff, I don't know, for seven, maybe eight years. Mm -hmm. And I finally get to know who made it and hear how she sees play. And you get these little nuggets of things like toys are boring. <laughs> you have pink section, blue section. Here's what's wrong with it. Here's my solution. So you get to hear where these people are coming from, what they like and what they don't like and what their solution is, which is really fantastic. So I highly recommend this show, whether you're an artist of sorts or not. I think that it's great to hear concepts from other people. And this is kind of people around the world too. A couple questions about it. Mm. Uh, Is it a limited series or is it a continuing series with multiple seasons? I think it finished after season two. I saw online that the first episode date was the 10th of February 2017, with the final episode date being the 25th of September 2019. So who knows? Maybe they're... Maybe they're trying to film something. We all know how 2020 has been. Right. So maybe they're planning on bringing another one. I I just don't know. Was this originally a Netflix thing? Yes. Okay. It's a Netflix thing. So it's entirely possible there will be more. I think it's fantastic that we have something that's teaching us about modern designers. I mean, not modern, like... Contemporary? The current... Yeah. Our current thinkers. Right on. Very cool. So that is abstract the art of design Mm -hmm. on netflix and that's all for your weekend review i've also been watching a couple other things but we can talk about that next time okay i've watched two things a little bit i finally caught up with a show that i was interested in watching when it was on the air didn't get to see it and then it had been sitting on my netflix queue for apparently like the past seven years or something and i finally got to got the opportunity to check it out oh my gosh what is it i'm so excited about something that's going to exit our list what, <laughs> what is it it was a show called pan am from oh. 2011 mm-hmm. it only lasted 14 episodes before it got canceled mm-hmm. are you familiar with this show this show I I remember it having a lot of advertising when it came to South Africa. I remember a lot of people being excited about it, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember anything after that. If I recall correctly, and I I may be corrected on this, I think it was like on an ABC show or whatever for that fall season. 
Uh, but it was something that kind of interested me. The idea is it's it's about the pilots and flight attendants who once made Pan Am the most glamorous way to fly back in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. This is back, pr- take in perspective, this is when commercial air flight was fairly new, exciting. Pilots were heroes, uh, which was kind of a feeling that continued, didn't fade until sometime in the 80s, really. But pirate pilots were heroes, captains, um, and any all the flight crew were uh, looked up to and highly regarded. Like these are the people of the future, you know. They they're serving us while we're in the air, flying, you know that sort of thing. And Pan Am was considered a, one of the top air w- means of air travel. This series was always marketed with Christina Ritchie in the forefront, uh, but it is an ensemble show that includes Christina Ricci, a pre-Wolf of Wall Street Margot Robbie, as well as Mike Vogel and Kelly Garner. And uh, David Harbour is in like about half of the episodes of the series. So the series is fine. I think it's <laughs> most... Oh, dear. Yeah. So uh, first of all, Christina Ricci is not the main character. It is absolutely an ensemble show. And in fact, like not a lot of what I saw, like the first four episodes, focus a lot on Christina Ritchie's character. Hmm. It really focuses on Margot Robbie and Kelly Garner, who plays sisters. And Margot Robbie is joining her sister working for Pan Am as flight attendants. Okay. Okay. And the show is actually, interestingly enough, uh, the most interesting one is focusing on the flight attendants and and the sisters and and all the all the different dynamics and and the details of the time. Mm. The problem with the show that I saw was it it doesn't trust that that is interesting enough. Okay. And it in tries to add this element of espionage to it espionage via you know cold war espionage via uh, the kelly garner character okay. who is plays margot robbie's sister who is secretly runs missions for the u.s government since she is a flight attendant she has access around the world so now she's a spy too sort of and it it felt like uh-huh. they were trying to punch up the 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 show and make it more exciting and interesting. Does that happen from the beginning, or does yeah, that? Yeah, oh. yeah. So it was their much. original intention, I guess. But okay. the problem is, it's not nearly. Uh, ironically, it's not nearly as interesting as all the other elements of the show. So I, I remember this being a very glamorous advert and yes. kind of going to what the first half of what you said, right? Like, you know, yeah. I'm yeah. very confused now. Yeah. Is it worth watching? Uh, here's the thing. I, I will say it is worth watching if you are a Margot Robbie fan. Mm-hmm. Because what is astounding and fascinating to witness is Margot Robbie was like 21 or something at the time that she starred in this show. And she is so good she is like so she has such a screen presence mm-hmm. that she outshines and outacts uh people like kelly gardner and and, and um, some of her other cast members you know she is 
uh, it was remarkable how Margot Robbie seemed to always have that thing, mm. right? I never that twinkle, uh, right? I've never, of course, seen her soap opera work on the Australian soap opera series Strangers, which apparently practically everybody from Australia who we know now came from Strangers at some point. Oh, that's <laughs> you know, funny. if you actually look through their filmography, is it kind of like the East Enders? Like Strangers has been along for a really long time. Again, I guess I don't know what the East Enders are, but yes, Strangers <laughs> has been around for a long time. All right. At any rate, uh, it's worth watching for Margot. Mm-hmm. It's not a terrible show. It's an okay show. It definitely would have been a show that like needed a season to get its footing and get off the ground. Ah. So, no pun intended. But yeah, I, I kind of wish they had figured out, oh, like we don't need this garbage with the espionage. And also, I, you would find it interesting. Another thing is it's, there, there is some interesting feminist messages in it without being like too ahead of its time well i i feel like if you were doing a show with air hostesses you would really have a lot of material to work with it feels like a very fascinating world and it feels like it can be an incredibly infuriating world Mm. yeah i i pretty much agree with you and it just unfortunately doesn't quite uh, from what I saw, from the four episodes I saw, I didn't quite trust it. Oh. So that's Pan Am, an in, a great curiosity if you're a big fan of Margot Robbie. A decent show, but not a great one otherwise. Uh, then I also watched, based on a recommendation, I finally got around to seeing a movie called The Man from Earth. Have you heard of this, Shanna? No. So this is a sci-fi story that was written by a major screenwriter, so to speak, of the original Star Trek TV series. That guy, his name is Jerome Bixby. Now, he came up with the story apparently on his deathbed. And then many years after his death... Someone adapted it, and I, I'm guessing it went. It, it was like a direct-to-video release after hitting festivals or something. It came out in 2007, 2008 time period. It's essentially about this goodbye party, this farewell party for a professor who's like in his 30s or whatever, and all these professors are seeing him off. They had the official goodbye party, and then... He kind of slipped away, and a handful of them are coming to his place to see him off. And they have this discussion wherein he reveals uh, the reason why he's leaving is he's been around long enough that it's starting to notice that he never ages. And that's because he's actually a, if I remember correctly, Cro-Magnon man. So someone from the Cro-Magnon period who has lived all this time, has never died cannot die um, as far as I know and so uh, he he's he reveals this and it's about this entire discussion on whether or not they believe him and and they, you know they basically ask him a bajillion different questions right this is a movie that is full of interesting ideas tackles those ideas from a variety of different angles. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what would that be like? What sort of experiences would someone have gone through? What sort of uh, an emotional states would that person go through? How does that affect their that person's relationships to humans? You know, so social and all sorts of aspects. 
So this is what the movie is, right? It's full of interesting ideas. But as a movie, it is terrible. I mean, like, mm. it, it feels like it, it's the kind of thing that would be better as a play. It feels like the kind of thing that would be better as a novel. Mm. Because on the page, what is being said is interesting, uh-huh. right? It's, it's a discussion, right? Uh-huh. But the way it's directed, the way it's staged, of course, it has very low production values as well. All of these things make it for a bad movie as a movie. And it has some talented people in it, by the way. It, it, I, I should note, it stars uh, Tony Todd, who a lot of people know as Candyman and other things. I, th- I think he was in The Rock. T- John Billingsley, Ellen Crawford, who's a character actress that was in like the show ER. Uh, David Lee Smith, William Katz. Some people might actually know him as the greatest American hero from the 70s. I think there's like a cast of maybe 10 people. And but the thing is, the way it's directed, the way the, the performance that are coaxed out of these people, they aren't convincing all the time. Hmm. You know, they'll say lines that just don't they aren't sold those lines very well. And so so the way it's shot, the way it's staged, the way the performances are directed, it's not a very good movie. But um, I, I, I have heard it has been adapted as a, a play before. And I really feel like if you were to see this on stage, you know, and you're in the first five rows or whatever, this would be probably really interesting and engaging. But also, it is a, of a kind of sci-fi that feels like it's of a, a past time. Mm. And, and that's clear because it's written by someone who's of an era of sci-fi fiction of the 60s and he was probably peers with people like ray bradbury and such right so at any rate i give it a four out of ten and it gets a four because of the ideas in terms of its positive but the negative definitely outweighs the positive mm-hmm. in it as a film i don't see how it could possibly have in this terrible trailer it has all these quotes about how this is and you know, one of the most remarkable sci-fi films of all time because <laughs> as a film it is not well made so that's what I have been watching since the last episode. That's my week in review. Shannon, we have one more thing to discuss in our week in review that we watched. It was my birthday period, time, <laughs> week, whatever. And so we watched some of my favorite movies. Will they end up being on the list? We'll find out. But one of them was <laughs> One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest mm-hmm. from 1975. Millis Foreman starring Jack Nicholson, Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, Louis Fletcher, and a couple other people I can't remember. I think remember. Christopher Lloyd is my most pleasing character. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I could be him. Really? Where he's like Tabor. he's totally calm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's got this 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 violent facial expression. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, he either has words with it or he doesn't. Like it's me on a bad day, <laughs> you know, is is definitely who I always want to watch. I made it a priority to watch this movie because, and correct me if I'm wrong, had you not said that you have never really seen this movie? So I had seen it with you in the beginning of our relationship, okay. but two concussions later, <laughs> one has a hard time remembering things. Okay. All right. And it's not an easy movie. It's, you know, you have to kind of be mentally prepared for what you're going to experience. It's not a let's eat popcorn and have a good laugh. Well, it's, it's not funny a comedy, moments, right? yeah, yeah. But you know, 
Okay, so I put this on the list for us to talk about because we had a conversation after watching it, and you had a lot of interesting thoughts. Last episode, I believe it was... That I really hope I remember. (laughs) Last episode, I believe it was, you talked about how you had checked out the series Ratchet. From Netflix. A main character in this movie, and mm-hmm. which is an adaptation of a novel by Ken Kesey, very important to the counterculture movement in the 60s. The character's name is Nurse Ratchet. Mm-hmm. Okay? So Not talk good. a little bit about that. And if you can, your thoughts about the movie with that in mind. And if I forget, you just hop right in there, okay? I'll do it again. Okay. Um, well, you know, a couple of episodes ago, I did speak about Ratchet and how much I really enjoyed it. And... You know, the, the my favorite part of this show is its cinematography and its performances. You know, it follows this nurse who's trying, who has motivations to do certain things and has no problem finding your weak spot and, you know, using it to her advantage to get what she needs. But she seems to have good intentions behind what she wants to achieve. Okay, so she's manipulative, but with good for the, intentions. For the, not necessarily the greater good, but for the good that she sees or learns about in that moment. Okay. The most fascinating part of this show is, you know, what I just mentioned uh, at first while talking about it. And there's also an element of LGBTQ communities being represented. There's also a lot of gore in the show, mm. which, you know... You know, so when you said that you wanted to watch this movie again, I was like, oh, good, because I obviously don't remember this very well at all. Yeah. And so in comparison, the movie is it's really Jack Nicholson's story. And then the couple of his his uh, acquaintances that he meets there and helps with. And it seems to me that the story of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is it's like an adult version of Alice in Wonderland. We're all mad here. Mm. a little crazy and some of us are if i look at all the characters we're introduced to none of the characters are dangerous maybe the one that is jealous of what his wife is doing i mean that's a slippery slope Ah. for sure but um that's harding played by william mm. redfield how does it feel having watched one flew of the cuckoo's (laughs) nest to you so why don't you share some of the thoughts that you shared with me oh i don't know if i remember i you know, other than the fact that you don't need to package the show in connection with Cuckoo because nothing that has happened in the show so far, season one, seems to correlate with this movie. I mean, she herself is going against what society is pushing you to be, which is a nuclear family. And she's not. She's she's a lesbian. And that is kind of against what people were forcing at that time. Is that said correctly? Well, you're talking about clinically when you say that? Are you referring to... Well, people were being treated for being gay at a clinic with the bad kind of hydrotherapy. Do you get the sense in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest that she Mm -hmm. is gay in any way? No. She seems to be one of those people that is supportive of this kind of ruling or regime of you must fit a certain box and the box is heteronormativity and uh, listening to your government and doing as you say and do not fight us and listen to your authoritative community members no matter what position of power they hold okay so and if you're anyway against that then there's something incredibly wrong with you and you need to be institutionalized 
Okay. So to, to be brief about this, you had reflected to me this oh, movie or the, the show Ratchet is absolutely nothing like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're kind of dancing around it right now. Am I? I'm really sorry. Yeah. I think it's just the concussion. We're going to go okay. with that. Yeah. To be very direct, you're, you were saying the show, re, upon reflection, is absolutely nothing like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. It, it really goes in a completely different direction that mm-hmm. you can't even see how A gets to B. In terms of it being a prequel yeah. to Wonderful Little Cuckoo's Nest, and it is mm-hmm. way more horrific in tone and style yes. than the actual source material, you actually reflected to me, and I, I didn't want to speak for you on the podcast, but you reflected <laughs> to me that you feel like Ratchet is as a property based on this is kind of a bastardization of this. That you do wish it wasn't at all called Ratchet. There is no association whatsoever to this because, as its own thing, it was more interesting. Yes, Ratchet as its own thing is more interesting. Cuckoo is more interesting by itself. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, like I hear what you're saying. It's definitely a money grabbing kind of thing. Mm, okay. But they run the risk of upsetting fans of Cuckoo. Right. Like you. And like, unless it's going to bring people on board, you which, know, do that. Which, okay. So to me, when you say that, it actually leads me to the conclusion that this thing banks on the illiteracy of the American people in the sense that a, a great idea. A, most people have never read One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest. Most people are, have not even seen One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest. And. Most people who watch this show are not going to be interested in going back and watching or reading that book, right? Um, so it's fine and dandy as as is, and no one's going to really care. You could take it a step further and be like, it's further perpetuating the rejection of literature. Because if you're a fan of Ratchet, the show, and you go and read Cuckoo for just a few pages, I'm sure you're going to read that and throw it against the wall because you're going to be like where's ratchet that's exactly yeah you're kind of connecting um the dots more directly of what i was thinking i kind of leaped over that and but that's where my mind was going is like if someone mm-hmm. actually is a fan of ratchet oh i'm gonna check out the oh i want to read about nurse ratchet you will be so sorely disappointed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that is in no way what that book is and is in no way what the movie one flew of the cuckoo's nest is which by the way is one of the greatest american films ever made let alone of the 70s. But go ahead. No, I mean, I think I'm complete in my in my thoughts unless there's something else that I said that I forgot to mention here. Uh, no, just to kind of wrap it up, final thoughts on One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I love it. I think it's a great film. Uh, I, I could, carry a, I could whole, have a whole 30-minute discussion just dissecting One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest myself because there's so much, so much to discuss and pick apart in that movie. Great film, but um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, as difficult as it was, to share some of your thoughts, especially since you had seen Ratched. All right, that about does it for our weekend review and the weekend review in general. Now it's time to move on to film faves. All right, so already, <laughs> yeah, already. This is the this is kind of the main event. This is what this year has been leading up to. This is what this past three years has been leading up to. More on that in a second. First, for those who are not familiar, Film Faves is a segment of the show inspired by a kind of a 
our regular feature, I guess, on the GibsonReview.com I used to do, where in, back when I started the blog, I would count down my 12 favorite movies year by year, going backwards through time. In this show, we have done that, but we also sometimes do it around a particular topic. The idea is to not only give you an idea of our taste in film, but also hopefully expose you to some titles you've never heard of before and try to check those out. To that end, we point you in the direction of where you can find those movies. Okay, Now, there are a bajillion different streaming services out there, and despite that, most movies are not available on a subscription service. Many are available to rent on Amazon, though. But we focus on, because there's so many, we focus on Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, Netflix, Disney Plus, and is there any others? I think that's it. Apple. Apple TV Plus. Oh, yeah. That's just been recently added in our our world. There we go. I think that's everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We focus on five or six. So uh, remarkably, still half to most of our list will still not be on any of these services. So, But we'll point you in the direction when they are. Now, this list. So much to talk oh, about in, regarding this list, all right? Mm-hmm. So we've gone backwards through time. We spent three years going back, exposing each other to some new films along the way. Especially, I know that was the case for you, Shanna. Uh, making new discoveries. We kind of counted down our 12 favorite discoveries uh, a couple months back. We've counted down our favorite actors and actresses, our favorite directors as a result of this journey, and our favorite years in film, too. Now, now is the time when we figure out what our favorite movies of all time are. This is after 42 lists going backwards through time. Uh, 42 number ones, over 500 favorite movies overall that we had to pare down to 12. Does it sound like a challenging task yet? Shanna, let's start with you. (laughs) Talk about your process of this. Let's talk about our processes first before we start getting into list. No need to rush it. Tell me. No need to rush my process. No, 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 the the list. Oh, okay. Um, Tell me. What the what your process was, what your thought process was, even, and how you went about trying to make this, and any challenges you came across? Oh man, there were so many challenges. I I look at my list, and I'm still not sure. You know, I you know, of course, I made a list of all my favorite movies, of movies that I can't stand to not watch within two year a two period two year period. I thought about the movies that I watch every birthday, every Christmas, every holiday. And I thought about movies from my childhood, movies that represent women, directed by women, sci-fi, movies that are unique, have unique experiences for me, uh, have sentimental value. So it's really what it boils down to is... You know, what am I going to feel like watching after this? You know, if we didn't have any new movies or if, as you so bluntly put it, if we burnt our collection and you were only allowed to save 12 movies, like what would they be? Mm. You know, that's kind of the direction of thought I was heading in. And then tonight, while finalizing the list, I was like, I know what I'll do. 
I'll just pick our favorites from our collection. And I think I started with maybe 30 and then dwindled it down, you know, putting it into these different categories I'd set up for myself and thinking, okay, well, what's the best from this category? Can I have two superheroes in my list? No, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Can I have three Star Wars movies? No, that's probably a little excessive. You know, <laughs> that's can, a quarter of can your you list. have Star Trek or can you have Star Wars? Well, that's a shitty decision, but it has to be done. Mm. So I was kind of surprised how my list ended up because what ended up happening was it was like, okay, there's no musicals in here. Mm. There's one animation. Mm. There's definitely more sci-fi than anything else okay and then there's relatability you know how, how do i relate to this beyond the i love this movie so much how do i relate to it what's my favorite part can we quote it a lot yeah do, do we know the actors or actresses names by heart mm -hmm. if you were to say something in a particular tone to me could i attach that to one of the movies in this list okay if you full-on quoted it could I find it in this film? You know, can I bring that film up? And so, you know, that part of me is like, okay, cool. You know, I've got that. Did nostalgia play a part? Yeah. At first I ended up with six movies that were nostalgic mm -hmm. and I dwindled it down to, I believe two. Okay. Uh, which was difficult. And mm. so our son was very sweet. He was like, I would like pick up one of the movies and I'd say, take it away. <laughs> and he, he would keep putting it under, you know, a movie I was okay letting go of because it was, you know, previously made number one recently. And so he would keep putting each movie under that one that I was okay with. And he started sitting in front of the pile of elimination as well. So just to, just so just you to could try see. and help me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was, that was really sweet. And then he kept guessing. I think this one's going to get eliminated. I think this one's going to win. Yeah. And only once or twice did he go, <gasps> just absolutely <laughs> you know, shocked. Yeah. Okay. That, that something got eliminated. Okay. So that's where I'm at. This list could change in 10 years. I don't know. Mm. It could shift. Like something that's maybe number eight might go to 18. Okay. You know? So as opposed to you, Right. Who are very, you know, you are very logical and statistical when it comes to making this particular list. At first, actually, it's funny that you say that because that was my starting place, right? Mm. I had made a spreadsheet. This is this is how nerdy I am. I made an Excel spreadsheet back when we did the director's list. And with that, not only did I have the directors, but I had my favorite movies by those directors. And I looked up how many lists the, each of those movies came up on. And then I looked through all of our lists because here's, here's the initial logic, right? If a movie was number one on any list, surely mm -hmm. it must be a contender, right? Mm -hmm. And if it was number one on three to five lists or whatever beyond that it must be one of my favorite movies of all time, mm. right? So that was my starting place. Compiling all that data and then making a list of movies that fit that data, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did that, but that ended up being just a starting place where I look at it and I'm like, okay, well, now my gut's coming in. 
this doesn't feel right. You know, many of these <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe many of these are really recent and there's not so many from the golden age of Hollywood or whatever that I, I keep championing, right? From other years. I would play with it from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was really hard whittling like I've seen over 3,500 movies right mm-hmm. whittling that down to uh, what 500 movies that ended up being favorites and then whittling that down to 42 number ones plus other ones who maybe are favorites of mine but they weren't like necessarily a number one in a particular list but they are favorites getting it down to 12 was very difficult mm-hmm. uh very difficult process <laughs> painful you <laughs> it know it is painful isn't it because there's also there's other aspects of ways to look at it there's okay what movies were my favorite experiences in the theater that i remember mm. right for whatever reason they were the greatest experiences in the, in the theater do those get on the list do those make up the list right and surprisingly i will tell you the final results did not have any of those movies in the top, in my 12 favorite movies of all time. Mm. But then I would come across a movie like Wayne's World or other movies where I'm like, oh my God, I could practically quote this movie verbatim or I love, I love this movie, you know? And there's a couple movies like that that made the list, but that wasn't necessarily the case. So anyway, a lot of retooling beyond the data um, polling. This is something I've been working on since we did our directors. So it's been... A couple months now that this list has been in the process. You know, I'd, I'd tool with it, come back to it after a week or two, play with it a little bit more, or stare at it. You know, <laughs> see if this is uh, this is how I feel. I couldn't do that. Uh, I, I it was my intention to work on it a little bit by little bit each night. Like I managed to watch twenty minutes of my top two favorite films. Mm-hmm. And be able to talk about it and get excited about it again, but I, you know, I just wasn't able to do that for all, right. all of them. Right. Yeah. No, I didn't watch any uh, beyond my birthday period, right, where we watched several favorite movies. I didn't really watch anything for the purpose of this list. And then there's like, oh, but what about these directors? You know, these directors on my favorite I had directors list. A hard time because I was like, I looked at my my pile, yeah. my thirty movie pile. Yeah. And I, was, uh, I had dwindled some of it down and I was like, oh shit, there's only six female directors in here. And I think only one made it. Uh-huh. Which is like, then I was like, oh no. <laughs> but then I thought, okay, well, we've had a, di- a female directors list. So, okay, because of that list, I can let go of these ones. Okay. Because of XYZ list, I can let go of those ones. Yeah. There needs to be a top 30, you know, because that's that's kind of where your favorites live, mm. you know. Uh, everything else beyond that is enjoyment mm. on the scale. You may be right. Although, you know, what I will probably do from this is, and it's been requested of me to do this, I will probably create on the Gibson Review blog a post or a couple posts that that are my 100 favorite movies of all time. That's a great idea. Because, especially since these 12 were so painful, you know, all the movies that got left out mm-hmm. uh, were so painful. And and also, this exercise is fun. As painful as it was, it was really fun to try to figure out and be definitive about as much as possible 
It was a fun, enjoyable exercise. You're nodding. <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding because I'm looking at this list and I'm like, what ended up happening with my last six is I had like two that I saw similar. Yeah. And it was hard to eliminate one of those two. And that okay. happened for three sets. In order to get it down to 12. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, do I swap it out real quick before <laughs> Jeff knows? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. We're surprising each other with our, our picks. We're kind of learning something about each other through this it's as a well. great season to do this too you know for christmas gift inspiration mm, yeah and actually you remind me that, that that's true like this episode is posting right uh, the week of thanksgiving in a way you could say happy thanksgiving everyone in a way you could say these are the movies we are most thankful for right wait wait i didn't go into that with that mindset now i'm worried <laughs> Because if you want me to make a list of what I'm most thankful for movie-wise, it's going to be definitely more heavily relatable movies. You really? Know? You're not most thankful and for your favorite movies of all time? I'm thankful for them. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful. <laughs> I have a lot of gratitude. I have a gratitude <laughs> book, you know. But like if you're it, like for me, when you say thankful, I mean, that's maybe we do that next year is like what movies are you most thankful for that have played a role in your relationships or your development into adulthood, or you didn't see that in that particular way, but when you saw that minority getting hurt and how they were being depicted or how they were being seen, mm. it opened your eyes. Let's do that next It's almost year. like our favorite movies we grew from. Yeah. Where, yeah. Oh, wait, that could be a New Year's list. Possibly. possibly. I don't think we'll have time because yeah. that's a crazy time of the year. But yeah. uh, let's, 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 uh, let's end the preamble and get right okay. into it for people. Yeah, um, we go, folks. Everybody's <laughs> going to be like, oh, fuck this. This isn't worth it. <laughs> Turn this off. Um, so no, please don't leave us. <laughs> get into your 12th favorite, arguably the most difficult position next to number one. What is your 12th favorite movie of all time? All right, I'm doing something new here today that I forgot to mention, and that is I'm reading the descriptions of the DVD backs because having the physical copy is amazing and they deserve to be appreciated and, and have gratitude, so here I am. <laughs> My number 12 is Arsenic and Old Lace from 1944. This stars Cary Grant and a stellar cast romp through this classic farce based on Joseph Kesselring's 1941 Broadway hit and breezily directed by Frank Capra. Frazzled drama critic Mortimer Brewster, who is played by Grant, has two aunts who I adore, Josephine Hull, love her, and Jean Adair, who ply lonely geezers with poisoned libations one sociopathic brother, played by Raymond Macy, who looks like Boris Karloff. One bonkers brother, John Alexander, who thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt. One impatient new bride, Priscilla Lane. And only one night to make it turn out all right. In this circus center ring is Grant, twisting his face into a clown's gallery of flabbergasted reactions and transforming his natural athletic grace into a rubber-legged comic ballet. You will die laughing. 
is the description on this wonderful DVD box. That was very long. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it's efficient and lovely. I, I love this film because it makes me laugh. I love it because Cary Grant is a clown in this film. I mm. mean, you get to see so many facial expressions, which I love. It's very emotive. And I love that he cares for his aunts so much. And I love how it ends, too. It's it's quite comical it's scary at times but it's hilarious and you know they don't mention all the side characters in that long description but there's a bunch of side characters Mm -hmm. who really help make this film really spectacular and awesome awesome and are people able to find that movie anywhere you can't find it anywhere but it's worth buying all right (laughs) okay so my 12th favorite movie of all time Definitely a very difficult position uh, for me, but I landed on E.T. the Extraterrestrial from 1982. That's great. This was nowhere near close to my original drafts of this list. Hmm. Wasn't added until a few hours ago. And the reason why I added it is because I was like, oh, like, are there Spielberg movies on my list? Oh, like Mm -hmm. I named him as my favorite director of all time there were 14 movies that of his that ended up on lists out of the 42 lists that we made so uh, maybe i should take into consideration that and i started thinking about the movie and it's like oh yeah you know the score the the way that move that the magic of that film the way i i think i feel like we've talked about it on a previous episode at some point uh, I'm having deja vu here, but the mm. way that movie makes me feel and I get just so caught up in that that film, it's not a movie I go back to very often, which, by the way, another thought process took into consideration, but I do love that film. I do love the experience of watching that film. I love what that movie is expressing about friendship and about innocence and so many other things and about adolescence and, and, and about relationships with parents and things. So I, I squeaked it in E.T. from 1982 is my 12th favorite movie of all time. I'm so glad you have Spielberg because unfortunately he got knocked out. really he did okay so this is interesting because i'll probably say this as we go along jurassic park is a movie i expected to be a strong contender on your list if not on your list and that is the one that that got eliminated wow logan was like oh all right let's carry on my number 11 how could i not have this on my list it's x-men days of future past wow specifically the rogue cut which, yes, yes, is a better version of that film. So I just battled to find a decent description on this particular DVD that we have. It is the Rogue Cut, which means it was released later after the original theatrical release got, which, From 2014. Yes. This is available to stream on Disney+. Plus. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. The, because that just happened recently, I think. Okay. Like oh, a, because of the Fox thing. Oh, um, yeah. But it's not the Rogue Cut, right? No, I don't believe so. Okay, just to be clear. Yeah. The X-Men send Wolverine to the past in a desperate effort to change history and prevent an event that results in doom for both humans and mutants. This is my favorite comic book of the franchise. And I think it is the one X-Men movie that they got right. 
And what a fun way to kind of marry the two franchises, like bringing in the old X-Men actors and bringing in the new X-Men actors. It's just a really lovely weaving. That was a movie that was a strong consideration for my list. It had been on four previous lists Mm. in the history of the podcast, was number one on one of those four lists so it definitely was in the original draft of my list but i had to boot it because it just didn't feel quite right to be among my 12 favorite of all time Mm. but clearly no love lost here on that movie absolutely adore it all right my number 11 favorite movie of all time is a quentin tarantino movie Oh, no way. Because Quentin Tarantino was not in the list originally, and that didn't feel quite right. Mm. And so this movie ended up being on there. It is Kill Bill from 2003-4, available on Amazon Prime. Oh, exciting. Okay. Now, this is a film that has been on six previous lists of mine it was never a number one but it's been on six previous lists so the the thing is it, no other tarantino movie has been on more lists than it and i love other films by tarantino particularly pulp fiction and inglorious bastards we bonded a lot on about glorious inglorious bastards over the years you and i uh, but I feel like, and it's been a while since I've watched it, and I've been kind of wanting to rewatch it. Kill Bill is not only like one of his most fun films, but it's like what makes it fun is the hodgepodge of all the different uh, homages to different Asian cinema, different Japanese, mm. I think particularly Japanese, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, uh, cinema. And it's. Uh, so fucking cool and you know you it's also a really kind of riveting and fascinating revenge story too you know which is carried through with an amazing cast that includes uma thurman and uh i think it was vivica fox and 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 who plays l driver in it from uh, the woman from uh, uh, splash um Han- uh, Dale hannah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is in it michael madsen great cast lucy Liu is a significant part of the first half of the film and of course i think it is david carradine who plays bill love the film great film kill bill ended up being my 11th favorite movie of all time again that's available on prime Alrighty, my number 10, and I'm not even going to bother with my poor DVD because it's a collector's DVD, which means, you know, it got re-released, reprinted a decade later. So I'm not even going to try. Okay. (laughs) And it just so happens to be a Quentin Tarantino film too. And it's Inglorious Bastards. Because how could I not? Right. Um, That's one I did expect to be mm -hmm. on your list. Oh, well, cool. We should do little check marks. (laughs) I expected E.T. to be on your list. Seriously? Oh, wow. Yeah. In Nazi-occupied France during World War II, a plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish U.S. soldiers coincides with a theater owner's vengeful plans for the same thing. This film is 
sentimental to me in that it, it was a very significant experience in the theater. We had watched Kill Bill as at someone's house. Hmm. They got a copy of it. We watched Kill Bill. They said, oh, don't eat that dessert. You're not going to want to eat anything during Kill Bill. Hmm. And I thought it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. You know, I was super excited that the warrior, that all the warriors were women. Assassins, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought that that was amazing. I recognized. And there's that scene where someone tries to put out a hit on her and there's like, oh, there's a whole like pregnancy thing that happens, that whole conversation, woman to woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much that happens in there, but all I knew, I knew nothing about Inglorious Bastards. I I just knew that my brother said, come, we're going to the theater, Mm -hmm. you know, and this was... 2009. 2009. You know, he said, we're going. It's the same person that did Kill Bill. Let's go. And Mm. I'm like, okay, I'm in the car. Let's, come on, hurry up. We got to the theater and there was this guy sitting next to us that was just as pumped to be there as we were. Mm. And that was significant because usually people weren't that pumped about movies in our little town, you know? So it was very exciting. Let's talk about why I love this actual film. It's the cinematography, it's the storytelling, it's the dialogue. It's all the surprises that happen. It's Christoph Waltz. It's Somewhat Brad Pitt. It's <laughs> Melanie Loren. It's Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, Daniel Brühl, Till Schwieger. You know, I'm probably butchering people's names here. But, you know, when this DVD came out for the first time, having that short of the film that's released in the theater and the making of that film that's released in the theater, the little, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like an extra feature. Mm-hmm. Just the comedy of it all is so fantastic i love this film it's it's really one of my favorite we're gonna go watch it right after this actually is it okay yes because i said that was what we were going to do oh all right yeah no i love that film as well uh it was a tough call between that and kill bill honestly Mm. and can anybody find any of your movies oh i do beg your pardon it looks like you can find quentin tarantino stuff on prime Including this. Excellent. My number 10 uh, was a last minute edition. I had, and I have to explain, I had on my list Annie Hall by Woody Allen. Because that is a movie I've always praised and I've expounded on how much I love that film and how much that film blew me away when I was a late teenager and stuff. And it is still, to this day, one of my favorite movies but this movie i love a little bit more sort of and uh that was 500 days of summer clearly very this might make your list yeah clearly very much influenced by annie hall in some ways and and the soundtrack i think made my list of favorite soundtracks of all time Mm -hmm. but this film i find to be a very Uh, kind of a a rich and fascinating take on the romance genre because it's very much uh, features an unreliable narrator and is about a particular experience that guys have Mm. often and what and how their perspective is can not 
be the same as reality in a relationship. But it's a funny movie. It stars uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel is amazing in this film. Love her in it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So perfectly cast, both of them. Yes. Uh, Levitt is great as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's a brilliant film. And I've always, I, I felt, I mean, this is a movie I fell in love with before I saw the movie, right? Like I saw the trailer, knew I had to see that movie, listened to people discuss the movie the week that it came out, uh, knew I, I, and just kind of fell in love with it with everything I was hearing in the hour-long discussions about the movie before the movie came out, or the weekend the movie came out, had heard the soundtrack, bought and listened to the soundtrack, loved the soundtrack. You know, it's Regina Spector music, the way the film opens with this this kind of narrator monologue that warns us, you know, this is a boy, this is a story about how boy met girl, but this is not a love story. This whole thing, I love the writing in it so much. I'm gushing. I guess this is our opportunity to gush about these movies. But yes, 500 Days of Summer is my 10th favorite movie of all time. It's from 2009. Oh, that's why I forgot to ask you. I even oh. noted it. Was there any decades that dominated yeah. your list? Because the 2000s was one, and I think the 80s was the other for me. I'll double check that. It looks like the 2000 teens are the ones that dominate. The 2010s? Yeah. The more recent decade? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm right. The 80s and the the aughts have exactly three films each in in my list. Uh, Go ahead. What's your number nine? My number nine is from 1984, Ghostbusters. I was going to be shocked if that movie did not make your list. It would be unfortunate. I it? would have been. This was one of them that I couldn't let go. This is a very sentimental film. This is my imaginary friends were Ghostbusters. So, you know, I would insist upon mom. You forgot about Ray. Ray needs a plate of food. Um, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and she was she was accommodating, you know, so that was nice too. It didn't totally destroy my hopes and dreams. <laughs> I love this film. Three former parapsychology professors set up shop as a unique ghost removal service. What they don't mention in here is the arrival of Winston, who is my charge's favorite character through Playmobil play. Mm. And he's my favorite too, quite frankly. You know, there's four Ghostbusters, and then we have supporting characters too. It stars Ernie Hudson, because he deserves to go first. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Sigourney Weaver, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and William Atherton. Yes. There's a couple others in there, but those are kind of the standout ones. Yeah, the core, yeah. This is the movie that... In certain elements, doesn't hold up very well in my my feminist point of view, but it's so sentimental to me because mm. it's the movie I would watch on repeat all the time, uh, from age four, five. Yeah. And this is the movie that we quote to each other all the time. We were having a difficult yep. family lunch. There was a lot of tension between the members in our household. Yep. And you said, "Slowly chew your food." And I, it completely got rid of all the stress. I burst out laughing. You burst out laughing. The other members of the family did, had no idea what was going on. 
Uh, but we did. And that's the power of movies in our household is it can diffuse a situation and give us a hard reset to carry on with life's challenges and ta- tackle everything that comes our way. Well, honey, uh, we could just call this whole thing off. You just made my list null and void. I forgot about Ghostbusters. Oh my God, why? <laughs> what is wrong with you, man? Oddly enough, it has, <laughs> only, it has only ever made one wow. favorites list Mm-mm. before it. And uh, so it, I, it did even come through the filters. Oh my God. Rest assured, it would have been added <laughs> had I thought about it. It uh, probably would have been added if it didn't mean so much to me. What do you mean? Well, the movie means a lot to me. Yeah. And it means a lot to you, too. Yes. I mean, we've got your toys on display from when you were a kid. I still have those toys, yes. Um, but I think that, you know, you leave a little room for me and I leave a little room for you. Like, sometimes we hope that one oh, or the other oh. has. Yeah, yeah, no, I just fucking forgot. <laughs> wow, okay, I was trying to save you yeah, from going yeah. under the bus. Were, Where would it have landed if you did have it? I will have to look at that in a few minutes, but yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. That would definitely have booted one of my previous ones off this list, that's for sure. When someone asks you if Ghostbusters is on your list, you say yes. yes. <laughs> oh boy all right well let's see if i can limp along here the rest of my list i will definitely make amends when i make my 100 list number nine for me is uh going back to steven spielberg 1975's jaws available on hbo max the second movie on my list that's available somewhere to stream it is on hbo max it's also your second spielberg it is so this was also a last minute addition so to speak, because I was given cause to listen to our favorite director's episode recently. And the whole thing with Spielberg came up because he was my number one favorite director of all time. Mm. And I mentioned my favorite movies when it came right down to it. And Jaws was one of the movies that came up and I realized, oh, I don't think I don't think that's on the list right now. And it has only been on two lists ever of yeah. mine. It was number one for one of those lists, on one of those lists. But, uh, you know, if you were to look at the incinerator situation, that, that scenario, I couldn't put Jaws in the incinerator. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that, we watched that movie, I don't know when it was, uh, earlier this year, I guess, for our 70s list or something. It was recently, and then I kind of took a peek at it to kind of reset my mind <laughs> okay and i just was reminded how perfect a film that is how great a film mm. that is and uh the, you know there's other spielberg movies i absolutely love but you know i also kind of rank this in terms of okay what movie would i would i rather watch this movie over this movie etc yeah. etc et all the way down to number one and yeah i'd rather watch jaws over e et if you were to compare the two um so that's why it's higher ranked but i i do absolutely love uh that film it is a perfect film and you know in many ways it helped change uh, cinema but yeah anyway available on hbo max my ninth favorite movie of all time my number eight was difficult it was one of those remember i said there were two sets of films that kind of were difficult to to decide on and it was going to be between ladybird and the one that actually made the list wild 
from 2014, Reese Witherspoon, written by Cheryl Strayed. Wait, wait, are you telling me that Lady Bird got eliminated from your list? I did. Whoa. I did. (laughs) Okay. That surprises me because that's a movie I expected on your list. Yeah. You said Greta Gerwig was your second yeah. favorite director so of all time. Look, 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 look. Listen, 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 Jeff. So <laughs> <laughs> you praise the fuck I out know. of Lady Bird all the time. But, but here's, oh God. So, <laughs> I had this huge pile of female representation. Then I dwindled that, like I separated it into another category of like, okay, female directors. And then it got into another category of like, okay, high school representation. And in that pile Jesus. was Lady Bird, Booksmart, Mean Girls. And I like, okay, Mean Girls, it's fine. You know, okay, we'll put that back. And then it was like, okay, Booksmart, Oh, Logan, take it away. No. Take it away. And, and then, too. yeah. And then, um, oh, wow. Lady Bird uh, came down the next category section that I had. It came down to choose between Wild and Lady Bird. Which one are you going to pick? And it ended up becoming Wild because, well, let me read the description and I can tell you why. <laughs> I can justify. <laughs> my decision which i sometimes regret (laughs) it's like just one of those hard ones you know so wild is a chronicle of one woman's 1100 mile solar hike undertaken as a way to recover from a recent personal tragedy it says recent personal tragedy but honestly this is a a woman that suffered many tragedies many little things and finally decided to heal herself, found a way that she was going to be able to, you know, reboot, reset for herself. And she wrote about it and published it. And then it became a movie. And this story is based on Cheryl Strayed's memoir, Wild, From Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's just the power of going inward and doing the work on yourself, how healing that can be and why this why this finally got on my list as opposed to all the others I've mentioned in that category I had it in is because this is a woman's story that I will always be able to relate to in some way, whether it's um, Cheryl that I'm relating to or Cheryl's mother played by Laura Dern. Mm. There's going to be some way that I can relate to this story because the movie does a magnificent job of representing all these little little and big traumas that occurred and how it got her to this point of her lowest low and how she needed to take a step to kind of step back and, and look at what was going on and be able to to write about it and heal. So that's that's the motivation for my my decision. Well, the, hopefully that's satisfying enough. The, whereas Lady Bird represents high school and the mother-daughter relationship whereas Wild represents quite a significant period of time. Hmm. That's a very brutal process that you went through there and I would have expected Wild to have been a contender for your list. But I definitely would have expected Ladybird to have made the list. So that's a big surprise here. <laughs> you know, our son was very supportive. He was like, oh, no. 
but you always like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even know about it. Right. And and he was just really supportive and empathetic. Number eight for me, available on HBO Max. Is it one that's going to shock me too? 2008's The Dark Knight. That's not shocking at all. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it is dangerously close to being one of the most overrated movies of the is past it? 20 years. Is it though? Just because the ton bath that the social media, com- you know, oh, cinema- come on, honey, are we going to go here again? Just, hold on, just let me hear me yeah, out. Okay, All right, okay. let me finish. Okay. That the, the, the ton bath that the cinema community oh, gives this film okay. is sometimes a little excessive and, and such, but... You know, it's also understandable and warranted because it is a great film. It is hard to argue. You know, it's my favorite Batman film. You know, it's a lot of people's favorite Batman movie. It's the greatest Batman movie, right? You know, I love 1989's Batman, but that definitely was my favorite Batman movie. But then once The Dark Knight came out, it instantly became a distant second favorite Batman movie, right? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, There's so much magic that happens in that film. So many magical performances. Yes. And I'm going to stay away from talking about the performances because I think that's the thing that people focus mm. on a little too much. I see. Rather than everything else. The thing that I think gets forgotten is how much fun this movie is. A lot yes. has been talked about about how dark and gritty uh, the Dark Knight trilogy is, right? You have a Batman who growls at you. <laughs> but what's forgotten is, like, as an action film, as a crime film, this thing is an absolute blast. And it moves. Like, I, I think it's... Like, it's easily in excess of two hours, and it never feels long. It is a great film. It also is a, a film that is one of the richest superhero films ever made. You know, and I, I'm a sucker for a movie with depth. You know, I love mm-hmm. a movie with layers and a movie that grapples with themes. That'll get me. I, I'm I'm a sucker for that, and this movie definitely has that when it wrestles with different archetypes, polar opposite archetypes, and how does one person get to be one area versus another person being another another place in their life? Uh, you know, sometimes all it takes is one bad day, right? You know, inspired mm-hmm. by The Killing Joke by Alan Moore. Anyway, great film. I mentioned Christopher Nolan's one of my favorite directors of all time. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that Inception and Dark Knight are my two favorite of his. Sometimes it might be a coin toss between the two, but but uh, Dark Knight made the list. It's my eighth favorite movie of all time. It's on HBO Max. I'm so glad you picked that because that was one that I felt like I could let go for my list because I pretty much knew it would be on yours. Ah. My number seven is available to stream. Whoopee! <laughs> It's on Disney+. Plus. It is my only animated film. It is a Pixar film from 2015, Inside Out. Oh, okay. After young Riley is uprooted from her Midwest life and moved to San Francisco, her emotions, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness conflict on how best to navigate a new city, house, and school. It's directed by Pete Docter. It stars Amy Poehler, Phyllis Smith, Richard Kind, Bill Hader, Louis Black, 
mendicating as the emotions as the emotions and here's why this film is so important to me it's so hard to identify your emotions that you're feeling in a stressful situation i don't think that emotion i don't think that stress is an emotion i think stress is a situation you're in and your emotions are responding to it mm-hmm. and it's so difficult to be able to say to someone if you haven't been taught emotional intelligence it's so difficult to say i'm so angry at what you did right now because it pushes my buttons or brings up ptsd from a previous incident or whatever if but it, you have so much power if you can do that right and there's so much less confusion and so much less hurt that can be felt by the person who has maybe initiated your ptsd mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. unintentionally and there's this embracing of each emotion. Like, I'm so angry right now. Well, that's good. What's good about the anger, you know? Or I'm so joyful and I'm joyful because this was, I felt really sad and really low, but then something magical happened and now I'm happy, you know, because someone was there for me on a bad day mm. or whatever. I think the way that the animation is, the way that this, con- how these concepts are, articulated is beautiful and i can't wait to see soul because it's kind of along that same line of thinking uh, possibly yeah i uh, cannot imagine my life without this film every time i watch it i bore my eyes out i'm trying not to bore my eyes out right now thinking about it mm-hmm. and it's always a good reset movie for me that is one of the few animated movies i think was considered for my list but uh did not make it so uh, excellent film though excellent film my seventh favorite movie of all time was a movie that uh, was not anywhere near my list originally i think it had only been on one or two lists in the past but another factor when taking into con- consideration finalizing this list is, okay, well, what are the movies that I champion all the time, right? How many of those can I get fit in here, right? Mm. Or at least, you know, talk about all the time. And one of those is 1939's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington by Frank Capra. What a great choice. A Jimmy Stewart movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, but this is a movie that I absolutely adore and have since i was 18 years old because it really speaks first of all it's it's astounding what is in this movie for its time it's absolutely astounding. You, people will be shocked to see what happens some of the things that happens in this movie for a movie that's you know from 1939 it, it's saying things that uh, and, and features things and has ideas that you would think you would have expected from a movie from the 70s or 80s or 90s you know these uh, this idea of corrupt politicians that's definitely a post 70s expectation a post nixon expectation presidents and 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 such were highly regarded and 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 respected back uh pre-70s so to to have this notion of corrupt politicians who 
are in it for their own gain and not for the people's gains, the people who elected them, is really, really uh, fascinating to see in a 1930s film. But also like this idea of uh, a, a, not a simple, but an average Joe, you know, just one of us can be, if put into the right position, given the right circumstances, might be able to make a difference for their common person is a beautiful and inspiring and hopeful thing to see on film. And uh, I think that especially these days, which have been so dark and challenging for our country, that movie is a great movie to, to go back and watch and try to keep the hope alive and to keep the optimism alive when it can be so hard to. So Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is a film that endures um, and I absolutely love it. It's my seventh favorite movie of all time. It's a great choice. My number six is available on Disney Plus from 2017, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Aha, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, I have a thing for red rooms and red <laughs> drapery because in Glorious Bastards, that, you know, that one really long panning shot, and then we have the one. Um, fight scene in this film <laughs> apparently yeah. i'm a sucker for red that makes me wonder if the Shining's going to show up on your list <laughs> your face just dropped <laughs> what the fuck i forgot about that movie <laughs> oh now i've nullified your list <laughs> oh my god <laughs> see how hard this is <laughs> <laughs> i was okay not having a musical in here i let it go and now I'm mad because there is one horror film. There's maybe three horror films that I have a lot of respect for, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, great. Super. Anyway. Is there anything else that has a lot of red that you want to tell me about, remind me about? I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> uh, did you see three colors okay. red? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, we're going to move to what did make the list, which is Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh-huh. uh, because of its red. So Rey develops her newly discovered abilities with the guidance of Luke Skywalker, who is unsettled by the strength of her powers. Meanwhile, the Resistance prepares for battle with the First Order. Here's what I just I love about this film. Force Awakens was great. I mean, there were tears streaming down my face. It was so exciting to see a a woman wielding a lightsaber. You know, it was just on the big screen yeah. and and she was strong and fierce and all the things. But in number 2, well, you know, the last of Jedi. of this one, the set, there's this fighting of emotions and it happens for for everyone it happens for all the characters i mean it's it's basically general leia that's not really you know emotional giving into her emotions or Mm. anything like that you see ray kind of toying with the whole spectrum of emotions you see kylo ren kind of fighting with what he knows he shouldn't give into because he's trying so hard to attain one goal and he knows that if he allows himself to feel these other things that he would maybe like to feel or maybe know 
what the experience is like is like if he opened up to them he doesn't and so it's this really interesting ping pong game that's happening within each character but then also what's happening between the characters i like that luke skywalker becomes yoda you know like okay well maybe you didn't you know have any children of your own but here's one right for you and it's just like a teenager ready to go Mm. so i feel like there's a lot of comedic moments that are relatable to relationships and things that are happening in your life um, as well as how fun the story is i think it's a very brave story i think that the choreography is beautiful i love the effects i love the moments and the beats that happen in this film it's my favorite Star Wars film, and it's also the reason Star Trek didn't hop on here is because this one wins more than Star Trek. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree with you there, and I grew up loving Star Trek, but there's not a single Star Trek movie that came close to consideration for this list. Awesome. All right, so halfway mark of the list. Um, we're not taking our time at all here. <laughs> uh, our, our time's going to keep going up. <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, let's let's get to my number six. 1986's Aliens is number six for me. Available on HBO Max. Uh, James James Cameron's uh, basically James Cameron's second film. If you listen to him, because Piranha Two: The Spawning, not his movie. He he. There's, if you read The Futurist by Rebecca Keegan, he pretty much disowns that. Uh, it was taken from him. He, Yeah, anyway, not his movie. So technically, you could say, or basically you could say The Terminator is his first film, Aliens is his second film. Uh, and Aliens is one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. Aliens is one of the greatest action movies ever made. Aliens is one of the greatest sequels ever made. Uh, I absolutely love Aliens. I love the special edition version of Aliens, too, because it flushes out a little bit more of what happened with that colony and stuff. Um, you get a little bit more of what's in the theatrical version. I think maybe 20 minutes or something. Um, but you have Bill Paxton, Michael Bean, of course, Sigourney Weaver. Great trio right there. You have, I forget her name, but she plays Vasquez. Vasquez is one of the most badass women ever in sci-fi history. I, I love seeing uh, Vasquez. She's she's baller. She's awesome. Paul Reiser plays a sleazy asshole. Uh, corporate asshole it's a great film about corporations valuing money and profits and and possibilities over human life lance hamrickson's and jeanette goldstein is who plays private vasquez but anyway it's an awesome cast it's a blast of a film it's so fun it's riveting uh you introduce it to new generations and they will be on the edge of your seat even though this thing is now officially over 30 years old it's 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 great i love it i absolutely like flipping love aliens and it's um james cameron is i I think i think i said he's my second favorite director of all time Mm -hmm. aliens is one of the reasons why and you can find it on hbo max it's also one of those movies where if you're looking for badass names of badass you know characters yeah and Um, and it's quoted too people always say it's game over man game over you know bill paxton (laughs) anyway what's your fifth favorite movie of all time it's mad max fury road not surprised from 2015 (laughs) you know more sci-fi on my list post-apocalyptic too post-apocalyptic indeed and charlie's theron and sand (laughs) sand 
<laughs> all these different elements, you know. Color-wise, it's blue and orange. So here we go. In a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a woman rebels against a tyrannical ruler in search for her homeland with the aid of a group of female prisoners, a psychotic worshipper, and a drifter named Max. This is directed by George Miller. It stars Charlize Theron, Tom Hardy, Nicholas Holt. Not the only time I've heard you give that rundown on this podcast, too. This is this is definitely what? an absolute favorite of yours <laughs> because you, it has been on at least one other list, if not multiple lists before. We've also got Zoe Kravitz, Rosie Huntington-Whitley, uh, Abby Lee. There are a ton of awesome faces in this film. It's probably, you know, top three post-apocalyptic films for me. And I just, I love all the action that happens. I love the stellar cast that they have. I love that it's about Furiosa. I love that Furiosa is getting her own thing. Fingers crossed, you know. It's, it's just, it's wonderful how all these women come together, how they're representing different personalities. I, I love this idea of, okay, you only see women as baby makers and even when they're done giving you babies, you still find some way to use them as the baby helpers, you know, mm. and uh, how they are not your property. But beyond that, that is not what they are at all. And it doesn't kind of hit you over the head with that. It's only occurred to me recently that, oh, that's what she meant by we're not your property. It's like the only line that talks about that, but it's this wonderful rebellion against patriarchy. Mm. Very cool. Uh, that movie has been on four lists of mine. Did not make my list overall, but it was a strong contender uh, for sure. My number five is p potentially my only F-rated movie in the sense of female directed. I don't know about written, but it is from 1992. It, this movie was almost number two on my list, but moved down a little bit. It's Penny Marshall's A League of Their Own, the movie about the baseball league of women that was formed after all the men went off to World War II. That's a very quotable movie, too. It is a very quotable movie. I think, first of all, this is a very underrepresented subject matter that it, someone online was actually helping me realize like this this is something that like more stories should be made about mm -hmm. right i don't care if it's a limited series or other movies i know they'll always be compared to this movie but that's because no other movie has ever explored this <laughs> subject matter and it's a it's rich it's a great great subject a great piece of history not something that i learned in school about you know i had to learn about it through this movie and do a a whole research project inspired by this movie um, about it, but it was uh, it's it's very entertaining. Penny Marshall uses two sisters as our entry point into this little chapter in history, and we get to learn about all these different characters. This team of women, we learn about their camaraderie, we learn about their social life, we learn about the struggles and the issues that they ran into in this in this league playing as baseballs in the society 
what people what um, audiences were like what their reactions were and mm-hmm. such and as well as the tragedies that they might have faced along the way because this is wartime too right mm-hmm. so because it gives us this time to hang out with these characters when things do dramatic do happen um they are very effective they do have a punch to them uh because we've spent time and we care about these characters these characters include um i believe rob reiner's daughter i forget her name Madonna is in it, Rosie O'Donnell is in it, Gina Davis is in it, Lori Petty, and I think maybe the first dramatic turn by Tom Hanks as Mm. well. This was his first, like, streak of dramatic roles. He did this, and then he did Sleepless in Seattle the next year, but he did Forrest Gump and then Philadelphia. No, he did Philadelphia, then Forrest Gump, and then Apollo 13. Sorry. Oh, wow. Great in this film. Hilarious movie. Love it so much, and uh, so it it was guaranteed to make my list somewhere. A League of Their Own from 1992 by Penny Marshall. That's a great pick and a great point about, you know, what can we go back to the well for? Well, why don't you go back to this well and, the, you know, this topic and uh, do more stuff with that? Yeah. That can make a good list, and then maybe we can give it to someone. <laughs> If only we had, you know, because we have so much sway in Hollywood these oh, days. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, they'll listen to us. <laughs> we just need to get our army of social media people on board. Oh, yeah, those five people. <laughs> those five people. Go right and, ahead. And a couple listeners. All right, my number four. It's another sentimental one, one from childhood that I just, it had to be somewhere. It's Terminator 2. That movie about the two robots. What the hell is that? That's a reference to you. You only you watched the what? movie thinking it was about two oh, robots, right. and it was the only movie. Yeah, Terminator Two. There's two Terminators, like <laughs> one Terminator gone good. You didn't you know. see the original Terminator. Yeah, I didn't this. see. I didn't see number one, and I'm glad I didn't. It's one of those happy accidents where you see the sequel before the the first one. I don't know if that's a happy accident. It, it but was okay. a happy accident. It was right. fine. So this is from 1991. It's James Cameron. You know, you mentioned it a a minute ago. This stars Linda Hamilton, who I fucking love, Mm. and Arnold Schwarzenegger. A cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor. Don't worry, it's not a spoiler. Must now protect her teenage son, John Connor, from a more advanced and powerful cyborg, who is played by one of my favorite actors, Robert Patrick, who shows his face in a lot of TV shows and, you know, character actor and all that jazz. I freaking love this film. I mean, it's quotable in our family. What quotes? My mother loves saying, I'll be back. But she gets really dramatic about it. And and she really makes her voice deep. (laughs) That's funny. You know, know, with teenage hormones, it used to drive us crazy, but it's actually really stinking cute because she sees herself as this, like, big broad-shouldered man you know? that's awesome <laughs> no one's gonna mess with her so look i just love the concept it's sci-fi mm-hmm. it it has sentimental value to me we used to watch it all the time if we weren't watching ghostbusters then we were possibly watching this one mm. so it's it's sentimental it's fun it's mm. action it's oh my god are they gonna be okay um, riveting yeah it's also my number four favorite movie oh, really? of all time. Is it? It is. That's exciting. Okay, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah. So 
I, I absolutely love this movie. It is my favorite James Cameron movie of all time. Uh, it is my favorite Terminator movie. It's the best Terminator movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you read books about how this thing kind of pushed the envelope and a lot of things like Jurassic Park that didn't make your list wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Terminator 2. Is that a jab? It feels like a jab. <laughs> it's a reference. Okay. Callback, if you will. All right, then. Uh, no, everything that you said about this movie, I, I absolutely agree with and feel as well. I, I, I would just be echoing those sentiments for the most part. I do remember watching this movie with my mom, who had great resistance because her thoughts were, oh, Terminator it must be ultra-violent, I'm not interested, or whatever, no, you know, whatever. Uh, she wasn't into those kinds of movies, but I showed her this movie, and the thing is about this movie that many people don't focus on enough is this is a father-son story. And it is that father-son story mm-hmm. and how that that arc goes in the film that won my mom over, where she, my mom even liked Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And this is a, a woman who, like, loved things that were fun and Fuzzy. frilly and, you know, totally, like, well, how would she say? Light entertainment. That was a That was a common term for her. Light entertainment. But... She was taken by Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I remember um, her being like, yeah, that was, I really liked that, you know, after watching that. You were right, Jeff. (laughs) That's always a nice phrase to hear, isn't it? Um, I I bet she totally related to Sarah Connor, who was protective of her son. Oh, yeah, totally. I bet she totally saw herself as Linda Hamilton, as Sarah Connor. Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, no, great film. I, I love the film. It's Like I said, I couldn't add anything much more to what you said about it. So it's just funny that it's, for both of us, our fourth favorite Mm -hmm. movie of all time. What's your third, though, Shanna? Your third favorite film of all time. It's from 2017. It is not available to stream. If you like movies about relationships, you should just go ahead and buy it. Or rent it, you know. That's fine. It is one of my favorite films about a married couple that are trying to overcome a challenge. They're fighting constantly because of this this challenge that came up in their marriage. Okay. Now and I got it. Okay. <laughs> it's because I said fighting. Yeah. Um, and so instead of fighting, they change that energy after their counselor? What is it called? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah, their yeah, counselor, yeah. who's from Parks and Rec, says, oh, right. I'm, I'm moving to Canada. Retta, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, mm-hmm. so you're on your own, bitches. And so they decide to turn their fighting into music, and it's pretty successful, and they found this way to express themselves. Yeah. And you and I both know that if, you know, we're in a heated argument or debate, if we quote something from a movie to each other or do something from a movie to each other, it diffuses the situation. Sure. And that's what their diffuser is this movie is directed by zoe lister jones written by her and stars her what is it called it is called i was getting there <laughs> you it was a long walk i want walk. people to listen to me <laughs> i want them to listen to my words because this movie deserves more than the attention it gets it is band-aid mm-hmm. and that is my favorite movie about marriage mm-hmm. uh that's my number three uh, Zoe Lister-Jones was surprisingly one of your favorite directors of all time. You were uh, a huge fan of her latest work, but uh, this movie in particular was was the, what made you a fan of her 
in the first place. And we have. Yeah, she's so honest with her content, too. And we've championed her through this podcast. If there's like a couple movies, one or two movies that someone gets out of this podcast, uh, that's probably one of the ones that we would want the most for people to get out of it. Because we, we've talked about it so much since the inception of this podcast. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not surprised to see it on your list. My third favorite movie of all time. Ooh, wow. Such weight. I'm actually <laughs> surprised to see it on there. It is almost famous from the year 2000 uh-huh. available on Amazon Prime. Cameron Crowe. I had another Cameron Crowe movie on this list for well, quite a long time. And I realized, no, this movie I love most. And and I was thinking about this movie earlier today. And even, like, how the movie starts, I don't know if I can articulate this. This movie starts with someone writing down the cast on a notepad with a very simple, like, keyboard kind of score. Going, it's just like this keyboard kind of doing simple notes mm-hmm. while this person writes down and then erases each cast member's name. And there's something about even that that I find absolutely endearing, I think is the right word for it. But that's that's just one part of so many other things. Francis McDormand's mom in this I um I absolutely love and adore her in this film. I and, and my perspective of her now is even different, has grown and evolved and changed from when I was nineteen or twenty and saw her. You know, and I loved her back then too, but my perspective was just a little bit different. Um, I saw her as a protective mom, but now I'm a parent, and so I can relate and kind of get moved to some of her worries. And also, I still always spark joy whenever she when she tears down Billy Crudup on the phone. You know, if you're not familiar, by the way, Patrick Fujit plays a kind of Cameron Crowe proxy. This is loosely based on Cameron Crowe's experiences as a rock journalist in his teens going on tour with some of the 70s most famous bands. And Patrick Fujit plays someone who's an aspiring rock critic. He goes on tour on assignment for Rolling Stone with a band called Stillwater. And it's kind of about what happens and what what that scene was like. I'm a huge rock music fan. Uh, Back then I was a a heavy audiophile. So this was like fucking catnip to me. This is, as you can tell for the past two minutes, this is one of those movies I could go on about and carry on about for a long time. This is one of those that you love so much that you're able to really... Yes, and Talk about. that is a clear indication of a movie that should be on your all-time favorite list. If you could very naturally and easily, unabashedly carry on about a movie, it is one of your all-time favorites. That is the case here with Almost Famous. I will stop boring you about it for right now, so that way we can get <laughs> until to... Until next time. <laughs> yeah. Until it we makes can... the list. <laughs> yeah, so let's get on to your second favorite movie of all time, Shanna. My second favorite movie of all time is from 1950. Yay! Something from a different time. Whoa. It is black and white. It's Jimmy Stewart. It's Harvey. Wow. It's one of those films that, you know, I look at the character 
Elward P. Dowd. I look at Elwood and I think there is a man that is just so sweet and so caring and so polite and understanding of other people's experiences and acknowledging them as humans. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kind of like this softer version of Jack Nicholson in Cuckoo, you know, being able Um, to recognize people and, and... Interesting. You know, it's like a different side of the spectrum, but same sort of concept, right? And and make them feel wanted and loved and mm. unique to this world. He's definitely a warmer presence than Jack yes. McMurphy is, J.P. McMurphy. Yeah. So due to his insistence that he has an invisible six-foot-tall rabbit for a best friend, a whimsical middle-aged man is thought by his family to be insane. But right. Josephine he, Hull, again. Mm-hmm. Yes, who I love dearly. But he may be wiser than anyone knows. And, you know, Harvey is a puka, which is a mischievous spirit. Mm -hmm. And I I love how Jimmy Stewart is representing the sensitive side of men that should be embraced, that should Mm. be celebrated, that should be encouraged. And I love the wackiness of the other characters. Mm. A good portion of the movie takes place at an insane asylum, if I recall. Just just the lobby of the insane just asylum. Just the lobby and then, yeah. you know, a lot in the home as well as the bar. Oh, yeah, the bar, Where yeah. mm-hmm. Jimmy, you know, goes and listen. Elwood and Harvey, you know, are regulars there. Yeah. And the barman is and how is he today oh oh he's fine he's fine just fine today yes and it's just the the sweetest nature of talking you know if i wasn't as an excitable person as i am i would probably lean more towards speaking like that you know this really calm grounding soothing and warm yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah hard to dislike I think it's great how the family is like uh, really scared of this, but then people evolve and certain things happen, and it's it's great. It's a really really great film. That was your favorite fifties movie. Mm-hmm. I fully expected it to be on your list, but I did not expect it to be your second favorite movie of all time. Although I don't know, like I expected it to be on your list because it is one of those movies that you talk a lot about. Yeah, it's one of my top talk about films. It's also one of those films where I'm like, you know, I love the beauty and kindness that Harvey inspires. And yeah. I would want to name my kid Harvey. Like that's that's the extent to... Not Elwood? No, I looked at it and I was like, no, I can't get away with that. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I mentioned Almost Famous is available to stream on Amazon Prime. I like to reinforce that uh, just in case because I do meander for quite a while. And I, you know, in our little shining discovery, I forgot to mention that, of course, anything Star Wars is available to stream on Disney. Yes. No. Yeah, you're right. You did mention it is on Disney Plus, but it's good to reiterate it. My second favorite movie of all time was an easy pick for me. This was guaranteed to be in the top five. It is a f- the only film on my list that's available on Netflix right now. Oh. It's from 1989. It is Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, of course it is. I absolutely love this film. Have always loved this film. 
I I love it more than any other Indiana Jones movie of, of the original of the trilogy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's uh, so sweet of you to say. Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark is highly revered, right? Uh, Temple of Doom is kind of like the redheaded stepchild, or you know, the black sheep of the trilogy. Mm. Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade is such a perfect, like lightning in the bottles of adventure, fun adventure. Like this is how you make a fun, perfect adventure movie, right? E- even as a sequel, it is actually basically it's the only Indiana Jones sequel up until a certain time. Yes, 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 yes. I know, I, but I don't acknowledge the skulls but you know temple of doom was not a sequel right last crusade was a sequel and it introduced sean connery who just recently passed this is one of my favorites of his as henry jones senior indiana's father he is brilliant in it there's so many things about this movie i absolutely love um first of all like mad crush on elsa the, the 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 love interest in this movie, I like I liked her more than any of the other love interests in the Indiana Jones movie, but uh, more importantly, you got like the River Phoenix prologue, young Indiana Jones prologue, you know, and that which is so perfectly filmed and so perfectly transitioned to the older uh, Indiana. Oh, I just oh that is just so perfectly done um and that in itself that sparked a whole series called young indiana jones that ran for a couple of years too which i don't know if that's available anywhere but it's kind of fun and interesting so many great set pieces every single set piece is unforgettable in this movie uh, uh some great lines you know no ticket kevin smith would go on to <laughs> reference that in one of his movies right that's such a classic line uh, anybody who's seen the movie knows exactly what moment I'm talking about. It, it, you know, so anyway, I I love uh, Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade. You know, I quote it. He chose poorly. You know, these sorts of things. It's awesome. <laughs> I adore this film. So it's my second favorite movie of all time. It is available on Netflix. It's definitely one of those you know top father son films. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely, yeah. All right. Very sweet. All right, love. Moment of truth for the past three years has been leading up to this. <laughs> what is your favorite movie of all time? All right. Do you, should I take guesses? Oh, yeah. Like, okay. well, how many guesses should we be allowed to take? Uh, so we don't drive our nut, uh, audience nuts. <laughs> Let me just do, like, three like, quick guesses. Oh, okay. Is it Rear Window? Fuck. It is? No, I forgot about that one. Oh. God damn it. <laughs> okay. Is it Psycho? No. Okay, it's not Ladybird. You already established no. that. It's not Booksmart. You already established no. that. What other? It's not Band-Aid. You already established that. Is, is, is it Wonder Woman? No, she didn't make it. Woo! Because it was between X-Men: Days of Future Past and Wonder Woman, and I chose the wow. team. The team over the single. Okay, I made my guesses. I don't want to carry on. Okay. What is it? I just feel really bad not having Rear Window. <laughs> no. Yeah. I know. I know. Arrival from 2016. Oh mm-hmm. shit. From your favorite director of all time, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, from Denis Villeneuve. It's Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker. This is a sci-fi mystery film. A linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecrafts appear around the world. This is Amy Adams. Uh, Her character is one of my favorite sci-fi characters. 
you can't say much about this film without spoiling it for people. It's just one of those things that you have to go watch and you have to go and enjoy and take my word for it. I watch this movie a lot. I think that the music, the score in this film is just the most beautiful thing I've ever heard by Johan Johansson, mm-hmm. who also Very departed eerie. Earth a few years ago. There is... I've never seen aliens depicted quite in this way. And the, the result of aliens coming is something unexpectedly beautiful about this film. I love the side characters and actors in this film. We have fear represented for if something like this, some sort of uncertain event with another species were to occur. We have Zoom calls with different nations chatting together, trying to figure out what the aliens are here for. Um, And they're in a bit of a race against time too, because Mm. certain country relationships are strained. So America with China, you know, their relationship is strained. And what's going to happen if China decides not to cooperate with everybody in the world? It's one of those films that when push comes to shove, we're all on the same planet We're all in this together, and we're all one. And so that might sound a little hippy-dippy, but when you see the film, you'll know what I mean, and you'll see how, you know, we're all puzzle pieces, and we all need to fit together. And uh, that's that's all I'm going to say about this film, even though there's so much more that I could talk about. Great film. That's, That's fascinating. Your favorite film of all time, Denis Villeneuve's Arrival from, what was that, 2016? Is is Arrival available to stream anywhere? It is not available to stream, but it's totally wow. worth renting. It's yeah. again, it's one of those films that don't get talked about that much, I feel. I know I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky to have employers that don't mind me talking about it with them all the time. I think in the in, in the cinephile community it's definitely highly regarded, but I don't mm. think the general populace maybe has has uh, latched onto it, and so they, yeah, they should check it out. Mine favorite movie of all time. Do you want to take a guess? Yes. Okay, go ahead. I got three guesses. Go ahead and fire off three guesses. Is it Star Wars? Uh, which Star Wars? Because there's, you know, nine to ten, ten, eleven Star Wars movies, technically. Is it technically the second one? No. Is it the third one? This is what your guesses are going to be? Yes. You're going to just yeah. run through the Star well, Wars series? Well, okay, now I've hit three guesses, <laughs> and is it the third one? Oh, so your first guess was the original one, and then Empire Strikes Back, and now your third guess is Return of the Jedi? Is that, is that... Well, I meant the whole thing, so I'm kind of <laughs> counting that as... Oh, okay, well, that would be cheating. No, I don't know that. It is Star Wars Return of the Jedi. I knew it. Did you? <laughs> by number by my third guess yeah so this is from 1983 you can see a version of this movie on disney plus if you're lucky you have access to the original Jeff is pushing up his glasses and holding his nose up high at this point that is not true <laughs> maybe figuratively speaking but if you're lucky you have an original an access to the original copy that's the really the one i love i i think Eh, you know, special editions. I, we talked about it in our last episode when we talked about Empire Strikes Back. 
if you're gonna see a cgi version of the star wars movies watch empire that's the least visually offensive ones but return of the jedi okay so here's the thing i've always loved return of the jedi always loved return of the jedi i've always loved star wars star wars is my favorite franchise if we ever do uh spoiler alert if we ever do a list of our favorite (laughs) franchises of all time more than likely star wars is going to be my number one it wasn't until I did this exercise that I realized, even though Return of the Jedi has only been on like one or two lists ever in this whole process of the past three years, but I realized, oh, no, this movie has to be on the list. And then I realized watching it recently again hmm. for my birthday that like I was quoting most of the movie. Like I knew beat for beat this whole movie. That was the most quotable one. I mean, it's not like a movie I quote, I don't think, maybe I do. I don't think I quote it very often in life. What I'm saying is if we were quoting Star Wars, that's the one it's coming from. I mean, like, I will quote Empire Strikes Back. I uh, I will say I know to you, right? Uh, I love you. I know. I I will do that, right? Right? I'll do that, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't know if there's very many moments from this that I actually go, but when watching it, I'm like, I know line for line, beat for beat, moment for moment, this whole movie. Here's why, why I love this movie. It is an absolute blast of all the original trilogy. It is the most fun of the three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every single set piece is unforgettable and awesome and, and imaginative and wonderful this movie okay so empire strikes back kind of kind of expanded the universe a little bit from the original film you got dagobah you got hoth you got the cloud city okay there is that there's a little bit more out there right return of jada is like there's a whole lot out there boom not only that (laughs) but there's a whole lot more to do in than what you had seen before Mm. boom you know jabba's palace Boom, there's the bodyguards from Empire Strikes Back, which is also a really cool concept introduced very briefly. Boba Fett, boom. The fact that Princess Leia, she poses as a bodyguard. Or not a bodyguard, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, bounty Hunter is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Bounty Hunter. But you have all these great set pieces. You have a perfect third act that is so well edited. I always praise this because I don't think enough people praise this. You have three different set pieces in the third act and it alternates through all those three in in various different times and you never get lost you never are like okay who are these people or what are these people doing what were they doing a second ago i forgot no never it is so clearly edited and so well realized it's so well paced and it's thrilling there's so much to that i love and yes I love the Ewoks. Sorry, guys. I don't care if you think they're lame. I love the concept of the Ewoks. I love what Lucas was going for with the Ewoks. The, the thing that people love and appreciate about Lord of the Rings is represented by the Ewoks. That they're mm-hmm. the smallest of us that mm-hmm. can make a difference. That they that you can have this huge overbearing empire, this authoritarian presence, this technologically heavy presence. And the smallest of us, with given the right opportunities, the right ingenuity, and working together, can take it down. That's essentially what Lucas was going for mm. with the Ewoks. 
And I love that about them. Plus, they're fucking cute. You know, they are cute. I do love that too. I've always loved Wicket. You know, his num num, all this sort of <laughs> stuff. You know, uh, Ichi Wawa. Love that. So I'll shut up. But um, it's very clear. You know, again, like I said, all my all is famous. You can carry on if it's really a movie that you love. You can very easily and naturally carry on about that movie with mm-hmm. no prompting <laughs> or a little prompting, you know. So that's the case with Return of the Jedi. It, it, it is my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Force Awakens was briefly on this list as well because I think about the experience of revisiting these characters for the first time in 30 years or whatever and what that uh, um, experience was like for me. It's one of my greatest experiences in the theater. But one Star Wars movie on this list. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So, Return of the Jedi is it. Check it out on Disney+. Plus. Not preferred, but it's there if you want to see it. So, those are our 12 <laughs> favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bearing with us. Shannon, you were wondering if you could shout out some movies that you had to painfully cut out of the list. Do you still want to do that? Sure, why not? All right, fire away. Because mine, I'll probably like recraft this list, and it'll be and it's posted. Be a surprise as my hundred, right? Yeah, like on the blog. because you destroyed my list with Ghostbusters. <laughs> I also realized Back to the Future. I thought you were going to have Back to the Future somewhere on there. Yes. Yeah, if I wasn't an idiot, I would. And, and I was surprised that you had like, okay, I'm going to have two James Camerons. I'm going to have two Spielbergs. I'm going to have two Lucases. Three Spielbergs, by the way. Uh, uh, Lucas didn't direct Return of the Jedi, by the way. Oh. Yeah. My, shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't like in, as intentional as that. But yeah, Back to the Future was one that I realized while we're going through this, I'm like, I absolutely love that movie. Mm. That is an absolute favorite of mine. Yeah. God damn it. When you don't have Psycho. That would be in my top 100 for sure, but oh, not okay. my top 12. Gotcha. Rear Window is a little bit more painful than Psycho. I'm really upset that I just Rear Window and The Shining that, for you. You know? Yeah. So those are what broke my list. <laughs> <laughs> Things that I had to let go of was Practical Magic, Uncle Buck, Roger Rabbit... Roger Rabbit is the one that surprises me. Mm-hmm. I had to let go of Tully, Three Billboards Outside Mississippi, Missouri. I no, had to let... Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, I'm fucking sorry. I'll just say it again. Three Billboards, Pan's Labyrinth, Only Lovers Left Alive. That one I expected on your list, too. Yeah, Ladybird, Laggies, Jurassic Park. That was going to be like my Spielberg pick, you know? Yeah, Jurassic Park and Ladybird, I expected. Mm-hmm. Booksmart. And Booksmart. Ghostbusters with the girls. Oh, but you got the original Ghostbusters one, so that's okay. Well, you would think so. I would. Lady and the Tramp. That's the one where Logan was just like, How is Lady and the Tramp not? Yeah. Um, (laughs) How is that not? Because it's made other lists, and, you know, in the future, we'll probably hear from it again. And spirited away Hmm. so you know Miyazaki stuff. Harry and the Hendersons. It was really sad to not have that. Hmm. And, you know, there's other films that I have a lot of appreciation for that just weren't going to make the list. There's films about time that just didn't make the list, like Looper, things like Knives Out, Easy A. Uh, Looper is a little bit surprising. And, you know, Inception was one of those Mm. where I was like, 
I was so sad tonight when I had to put it back in the pile. Gotcha. Uh, Up is another one. And then Avengers uh, Endgame. Yes, that was a top contender for mine, too. Yes. Uh, again, it goes to the idea of, like, the best experiences in the theater. Mm. And then something else that, you know, I just had to let go of was Fantasia. Mm. Uh, things that were okay to let go of was things like A Christmas Story because, you know, it's it's a Christmas movie. We have a Christmas list, so it's a particular category. Okay. It's fine. Blade Runner, Wolf of Wall Street. The original Blade Runner? 2049 is ah, definitely very more of a favorite for me. Mm. Sicario, Logan, Lost in America. Wolf of Wall Street. You just kind of blew through that one. I <laughs> yeah. expected that one to be on your list, oh, too. Oh, man. I had to rip that like a Band-Aid. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. What well, about you? Oh, you, you're not going to say. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Yeah, I, I, I will probably try to post by the end of the year my list of 100 favorite movies of all time. You know, last year, our focus was the 80s and also the best of the decade last year. This year, focus on finishing our journey here. And that will probably be the capper as far as that goes. Uh, but what are your favorite movies of all time? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shanna, we have been talking a long time. Um, so, but that's going to about do it for this episode. Finally where can people find you on the internet you can find me at shanna underscore paxton underscore photography on instagram and then on flick chart uh, which is not updated will be spellbinding a but not as in a just a single a okay so uh, you can go to the gibsonreview.com to find more episodes of the of the movie lovers on there. You can find other features and reviews. I just posted my 50 favorite actors of all time on there, kind of an extension of our previous episode, and 50 favorite actresses of all time on the gibsonreview.com. Feel free to check out those lists. And maybe uh, look into the recommendations of what makes some of those people my favorites. What else? Oh, Facebook. Go to Facebook slash The Gibson Review. Feel free to follow me there. Um, And Instagram is probably the most uh, active. The Gibson 99 is where you can go to find there. We did, I'm trying to look, we did a brief poll there. I do polls for you to vote on your favorites of different categories. I did, um, in honor of my birthday week, we did a favorite birthday movie and Knives Out, a movie that its plot is all started or kicks off because of someone's birthday. That was voted as your favorite birthday movie. And then we did, in honor of the last episode, favorite witch movies. And your favorite witch movie, surprisingly, ended up being The Conjuring by James Wan. So that was interesting. That movie beat out Spirited Away by Ayo Miyazaki. Uh, So uh, feel free to check in there, see what the poll is right now, and have fun there. Next episode of The Movie Lovers, we're going to watch Chloe Zhao's new movie and review it, Nomadland. I think that will be available for us to review before the next episode needs to post. And we're going to try to marry that with a much more succinct film fave segment where we'll be counting down our 12 favorite Americana movies. So that'll be interesting. And 
we'll work to kind of define what what Americana is and and all that sort of stuff. And so we're not stretching things too thin there. Uh, But you can find that episode on Tuesday, December 8th. So in the meantime, stay safe. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving if you're in the United States. And keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.